As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast for Tuesday, September 6th. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melchior. Today we have the uh, sister episode, evil twin, um, angry cousin episode of what we did on Thursday last week. We talked about the 2022 rookie class group of hitters. Today we're going to focus on the pitchers. And it's interesting because this is a pretty good class on both sides. It seems like you don't always get hitting and pitching all coming through together, but that appears to be the case based on how things have played out up to this point in the season. And I tried to group pitchers into a few different categories that are very Derek categories. They are, they're not <laughs> they're not rooted in any other sort of, of logic, but I do have three potential stars based on what we've seen to this point in a few different pitchers' careers. I think Spencer Strider is the one everyone's kind of saying, oh, he's got to be on that list. He is. He's he's first on that list because his 29.8% strikeout minus walk ratio easily leads rookie starters. It is not even close. And I think the question is, you know, where do we go from here? Is this the peak or is there a, another level that Spencer Strider could, could reach with the addition of more pitches potentially. I mean, I think that's one thing that he could do that could make him even better than he already is. And I, I think if he if he keeps going at it with mostly you know, a two-pitch sort of approach, which has worked really well for him with that fastball-slider combo, he throws a change of about 5% of the time. If this is what he's capable of with two pitches, this is amazing. Um, so what's next for Spencer Strider, Al? Because I imagine he's going to go very, very early in 2023 drafts. Yeah, and yeah, it's hard to really find anything to be worried about. And even like um, just thinking, okay, with with more exposure to major league hitting, are, are there going to be adjustments? Is is he going to tail off some? But if you just look at what he's done this season, I mean, he's he hasn't had a bad stretch really. I mean, just very consistently dominant. Hasn't you know now that the innings are starting to pile up and are much higher than they were a year ago, he's still just as good. So. Uh, I, I do worry maybe just that with that increase in innings, maybe there's an injury risk uh, next year to consider. Um, but from a skills perspective, there's there's really nothing here to dislike. And, and you know, I don't know that we need to pile on and, and offer more evidence of how great Strider has been this year. But I just, for another pitcher that we're going to talk about, I pulled up a leaderboard of Woba on end zone pitches. And that seems to be a very telling leaderboard. Like the the, the leaders on that leaderboard are all really great pitchers. Uh, and Strider ranks second among starters after Justin Verlander. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess if, if guys uh, can't do damage on your pitches inside the zone and uh, you only have two, it's less of a concern, right? I mean, they... It doesn't seem to matter that he's had two. They've known that all season. Two and a half, I guess we'll say. Again, he has a changeup. He only throws it about 5% of the time. And I was just looking at the leaderboard for top pitchers and uh, what their pitch distributions look like. Carlos Rodon 
is pretty much all fastball slider. He's got a curveball that he throws 5% of the time. There's a handful of changeups, but it's mostly two pitches that gets him to the level that he is at right now. And I'd say Alec Manoa is probably another really good pitcher that leans very heavily on, on his fastball and his slider. And that third pitch is used a little more often than Strider's 10 point, uh, 10% usage of the changeup for, for Manoa this year. So it can be done. I wouldn't look at, at the way Strider's attacking hitters and say that alone would make him unsustainable. I think the only thing that's going to keep me away potentially is that cost. If he ends up being someone who's a top seven, top eight a starter, that might be a little bit too rich for me in 2023 drafts. I think he's going to have to go as like a high-end number two pitcher in terms of ADP for me to have him anywhere next year because of, like I said, a little bit of concern about the increase in innings this year, maybe a little bit of concern about that that relative lack of a third pitch. So, you know, if he falls that far to like upper teens, upper mid-teens among uh, pitchers in ADP rank, then I will be very, very happy to roster him next year. Possible, definitely possible. But I always think the the young pitcher that could still get better tends to carry that little bit of extra helium makes them tough to get to uh, in year two of their careers. Let's talk about George Kirby for a few minutes. The eighth lowest walk rate among all pitchers. That's not just rookies. That's not just starters. That's among all pitchers, among 502 pitchers, eighth lowest walk rate. And of course, he does miss some bats too. We knew Kirby had great command just based on all of the scouting reports that had been written in recent years. And I think the stuff has always been the question. Was he going to be a guy that had average stuff in elite command, good stuff in elite command, or great stuff? And I think it's more in the good range right now. There's still probably more he could potentially unlock at some point. But this profile just reminds me so much of Shane Bieber when Bieber first broke into the league a few years ago. And when that happened, I don't think we were looking at Bieber and necessarily expecting the uptick in strikeouts that happened for a little while before the injury. He's kind of gone back down to early career Bieber with the strikeout rate this season. But that's more or less where my expectations are, are settling in for Kirby at this point. Yeah, I you know, I'm not sure... I mean, in terms of a type of pitcher, I think that that's probably a fair comp in terms of ceiling. I, I'm still not sure. And one thing that I looked at was um, Kirby's results and also his pitch mix from uh, before he went down to AAA in the middle of the season and then since coming back. And of course, he's been fantastic since coming back. Uh, a 2.16 ERA, 1.06 whip, 47 strikeouts versus the five walks, which was you know what you were alluding to uh, over 41 and a third innings. But just a, a 9.1% whiff rate uh, over that period, which is you know in in today's context really pretty low, and not unrelated to that. He introduced a sinker in the last start that he made before that midseason demotion to AAA. Uh, and has continued to throw it nearly a quarter of the time since coming back. So I do wonder if we're getting maybe a little bit of a misleading picture picture of uh, of Kirby's uh, strikeout upside. It's possible. I, I think the the question then becomes workload over time. And I know he had some some carefully managed workloads in the minors. How much will they increase him year over year? That could be a limiting factor for Kirby's twenty twenty three value. Uh, Arsenal's just so deep. And I guess the other thing that makes him a little different than, than Bieber, too, is he throws harder than Bieber did. Fastball velocity around 95 right now. I feel like that gives him a little bit more of a strikeout floor over time as well. But you're right. That low whiff rate is concerning. And when you look at the secondary pitches, it doesn't seem like he has one that is just totally elite that he relies on either. So it's almost like he ne- he's got so many pitches that he needs to pick a secondary and make it as good as it can possibly be if he is going to get more mileage out of his stuff. But I think he gets to that sort of higher-end pitcher range a slightly different way than we're used to. It's not overwhelming. It's not the 11, 12 strikeouts per nine. It's more of the excellent command, low walk rate, keeps the ball in the park, and is closer to a strikeout per inning. I think he looks like a pretty solid SP2. At this point, I don't know if there's actually a a top 15 sort of ceiling from him, but this has been a great rookie season from him uh, nonetheless. I do think the most difficult pitcher 
who has a star-level ceiling to figure out right now is Shane Boz because he's had two injuries this season that have cost him significant time. We may see him come back by the end of the season. I don't know if that's going to offer enough clarity for me to feel good about drafting him as even a top 100 overall player going into next season, even though he has flashed the skills necessary to be a true SP1 for us. Yeah, and you know it's really important, I think, to get at least a couple of starters fairly early who are going to be healthy, reliable. Um, and so, yeah, obviously, you know, this season with the problems that Boz has had, uh, that, that kind of takes him out of that equation, even though, like you say, he very well could come back next year and be somebody's fantasy ace. Uh, what was super encouraging was that, so he had, you know, the first start after uh, coming off of the IL, that, that was rocky and then uh, made five more starts. And that last start before going back on the IL, also not very good, but the four in the middle were outstanding. So, uh, you know, obviously it's just four starts, but given what we saw from him last year, what we saw from Boz during the minor leagues, uh, I mean, this, I think you can absolutely be confident that if he can somehow stay healthy, that Boz uh, could, could be an ace for you. And you're certainly not going to have to draft him as such. You just have to be careful that you, you minimize your risk with your first couple of pitchers that you draft. And I'm thinking about how I built some of the teams I have for this season. I think I'm more inclined to take on injury risk with a pitcher when it's a veteran pitcher. Uh, you know, older guys coming off of Tommy John or or other major arm injuries, Verlander, Luis Severino, even though it's Syndergaard. I know he's not back to being pre-injury Thor, but I was more interested in those guys. Even Kershaw and, and Carlos Rodon, to some extent, I thought were undervalued at various points during draft season. But a young pitcher fighting these arm injuries, I, I almost think teams are a lot more careful with the young guys, with the older players. They're almost more like, well, if, if you feel good, you can throw. And if, if that happens and they break, they just sort of live with the consequences. But when it's a, a 23-year-old that they think can be a front-of-the-line sort of guy, it's that stop-start, stop-start, trying to keep him healthy, which they should. I'm, I'm not disputing the the, the methodology of, of trying to protect those arms. I think those players just become really difficult to roster because you end up falling short in innings even if they are generally okay. And, and if the price remains high on Boz, I may have to hold off on 2023, even though I really like his talent in the long run. Uh, but I just had those three pitchers in the potential stars group, I guess we'll call it. the I thought potential early 2023 uh, picks, so I don't know if Boz will necessarily fall into that because of all the time that he's missed. Uh, some big risers from this season. I think Reed Detmer's gets a mention here because since his demotion to AAA, he's come back up for the Angels. He's made nine starts, pitched to a 225 ERA over 50 innings, 61 strikeouts against 20 walks. I guess it's better to be right later than never in, in this case because I <laughs> had a lot of Reed Detmers in the beginning of the season when he wasn't very good and had to cut him when he got sent down in most of those leagues. Fortunately, I got him back in a few places, but I do think this is mostly real. I don't know if he's going to get to that that Strider, Kirby, Boz tier. I don't know if that's the type of, of ceiling he brings, but I think this is more in line with the expectations we had when many people were saying he was the most MLB-ready pitcher in that 2020 draft class. I think that Detmers maybe could be on, on something of a par with Kirby. And again, it's so hard to tell when, you know, we're looking at a pitcher who's just in his rookie season, uh, spent, you know, a little time in the middle, uh, actually both Kirby and Tetmer's getting uh, demoted uh, in the middle of the season. Um, and both being much, much better when they came back, although for, for very different reasons. Uh, so with, with Kirby, it's the introduction of the sinker with, with Detmers, it's the, you know, the rein, reinvigoration of the slider. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm glad you were right, DVR, about Detmers because I was I was wrong both ways. I was wrong early on in the season when I put him on a, on a couple of rosters and uh, had to cut him, and wrong when I didn't try to put him back on my rosters when he came back. So now that he is nine starts deep into his return from from the minors. Uh, everything seems to be legit with him. You talked about the surface level stats. Those are backed up by the peripherals, and it looks like he's uh, Detmers figured things out. Yeah, the slider that he rediscovered during his demotion, it's clearly the the pitch he can use to to get whiffs. He uses it against lefties and righties. He's got another breaking ball. He throws his curveball more against righties than against lefties. Just a good mix overall. Doesn't throw particularly hard. 
but I do think if we're looking at him probably in that SP3, SP4 range for next season, I could actually end up with Detmers on a few more teams again uh, next season. So we'll see what happens over the final month. But I think you know, other the 225 ERA, that's not the baseline expectation. I think he's more of a, a mid-threes sort of guy, even a high threes potentially, but that'll play. You know, High threes with a 120 whip and a decent number of strikeouts over a full season. I think that's a, a really good SP3, SP4 in a lot of uh, deeper mixed leagues especially. I'm going to put Nick Lodolo in this same category of big risers because he looks like he is heading to the sweet spot for early 2023 drafts where he might be an undervalued young starter with growth potential. The ERA seems a little high. The whip seems even higher than that, relatively speaking. I I think we're going to see some correction, maybe down the stretch this season even. I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if Lodolo emerge to be maybe one of the best all-round values of this entire group in year two. Yeah, and I think back to uh, back when we were drafting, and for obvious reasons, Lodolo was was often uh, compared with Hunter Green, his teammate, and also kind of similar profiles coming in. And it was kind of a coin toss for me, but I had a little bit more faith in Green. I know we're going to talk about Green a little bit later on, but uh, Lodolo clearly with the the much better rookie season than Green, and yet they both have a you know an ERA risk in terms of uh, home runs. And it hasn't really availed itself to the same degree with uh, Lodolo, not as many fly balls, but the fly balls that he has allowed have been hit really hard. Uh, So I don't know if that's something that necessarily should deter me from from drafting Lodolo next year because, you know, he could he could fix that problem or it could maybe even just be kind of a small sample artifact for him. But obviously in his ballpark context, Allowing uh, hard contact on flies and liners is something uh, that could really mess up your value. Yeah, changeup so far has been a pitch that opposing hitters have done pretty good damage against. Doesn't throw it that often, but I think getting a more consistent third pitch would actually help quite a bit. And maybe that's one way that Lodolo can reduce the quality of the contact that he's allowing over time. If it becomes too easy to kind of predict sinker versus curveball against him, hitters are going to be able to take bigger hacks and that will be costly, especially in great American ballpark. Uh, let's talk about Joe Ryan for a moment, because at this time last year, he was just breaking into the big leagues, and there were a lot of questions about how effective he was going to be. It's not high-velocity stuff. It's a lot of deception. I think it's pretty clear now seeing him for a calendar year. The stuff plays, and the main flaw appears to be homers, and this profile actually kind of makes sense. We've seen some things like this in the past. Career numbers are now a 391 ERA and a 108 whip for Joe Ryan. So is it safe to say that what you see is what you get with him? I'm, I think maybe you could get something slightly better. Although, um, I mean, the, the ERA is, you know, is still pretty good. Just a little bit under four. Uh, I think maybe it could be a little better than that. And I'm, I, again, I'm sort of hesitating here because he allows a lot of fly balls. Um, but you mentioned the home run problem with Ryan. He gave up five home runs to the Padres in one start. You take that away and his home run to nine ratio for the season is actually slightly below the major league average. It's 1.06. The major league average is 1.08 right now. Um, so it's really critical for Ryan, given that he misses a fair number of bats, but not to the degree where you can just totally ignore the fly ball issue with him, that he he has to minimize the 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 quality of the contact on those fly balls. And other than that one start against the Padres, he's actually done a pretty good job of that. Yeah, it's interesting that so much of that damage was done in that one outing. You're looking at the heat maps, it's high fastballs, it's sliders down and away to right-handed hitters and down and in on lefties a lot of times. Uh, it's just location 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 if he locates well i think it continues to work just fine and yeah if the home run rate if that just normalizes maybe there's a little bit of improvement with the era the whip's probably not getting a whole lot better than it is right now unless he can find a way to shave off more walks Uh, i don't think the k rate's going up i think that's that's the skill that i look at of the three i'm more confident in the k rate being right than i am in the other two being exactly where they're going to be in the future but just an all-around nice pitcher that probably because of the AL Central also plays up a little bit. Now the more balanced schedule next year takes away some of that advantage, but I think he'll still end up on a decent number of my teams. Probably a guy that goes in the 
pick 150 to pick 200 range if I had to sort of put a wide estimate on where the ADP is going to land on Ryan because those ratios are good. Uh, the thing that makes me a little hesitant to believe he's going to get a lot better is that he is already 26 years old. So I think breaking in a little later might have been more of a finished product upon arrival when the Twins brought him up last year after that trade from Tampa Bay. I think we should include Braxton Garrett in this group. And I think there might be some inverse of Nick Lodolo stuff happening where the ratios are probably a little better than they should be and they're going to go the other direction. But the home park gives him a great floor. And this just seems like a, a really nice rookie season for a guy that wasn't getting a lot of attention when he got his opportunity, despite the fact that he was the seventh overall pick of the 2016 draft. And I think that's probably partly because the the Marlins are just so deep with good young pitching that Garrett, like you said, even though a former first round pick, uh, just kind of uh, fell back in the queue in terms of uh, you know where we we placed our attention. But a really really impressive rookie season from Garrett. And um, one thing that's kind of puzzled me looking at his profile, um, you know, I, I rely on a lot a lot on CSW. I just think it's it's a really great indicator and also a place where you can find. Uh, pitchers who may be uh, underperforming and have a really high ceiling. And Garrett's uh, CSW, 31.4%. So that's really, really good. Um, and, and so to me, indicates that there there may be even room for, for, for better performance from Garrett. But if, and again, you can find that on fan graphs in the uh, plate discipline profile. And in that same profile, you can find the rate of contact on pitches in the strike zone. And it's terrible for Garrett. It's 92.9%, which is absolutely abysmal. Uh, so I actually, and I'm sorry to just, you know, go all geeky on you, DVR uh, and everybody listening, but I, I was so puzzled by this. I actually went and did a little plot chart um, just to make sure that this is as much of an outlier as I thought it was. And it is, I mean, Garrett is almost off the charts in terms of like his ability to miss bats and yet allows so much contact in the zone. So that to me says that, I mean, I guess you could look at the other way and maybe say that the, the CSW is a fluke, but I think it's the other way around that. I think Garrett uh, next season, or even if he comes back for a little bit of this season, uh, could could perform a lot better and maybe be a little bit more effective on pitches in the zone. I ended up trading him away in a keeper league because I was just a little bit borderline on him in the particular format, but I do think he's solid. I think there's a very good chance that you're at least using him for home starts next season, but you're probably using him for more than that given some of those underlying numbers. I would err on the side that the the high called strikes and whiff rate is a sign of good things to come, that he can avoid some of that damage in the zone with another adjustment or two. Maybe there's some something in sequencing that's predictable. I wonder sometimes if someone's tipping pitches, if they have some kind of imbalance like that. So that that seems somewhat correctable. Dealing with an oblique injury right now, so hopefully we'll see him again uh, before the end of the season. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I've got a few pitchers in a group that I labeled tougher to project. Very helpful to just put them there and kind of say, this is your problem. You all figure it out. Uh, Mackenzie Gore, he was cruising early on this season. It kind of seemed like he hit a wall. and I don't really know what to make of that. If that was the, the injury that has cost him a lot of time, he's been on the IL you know, since that, even before that trade that sent him to the Nationals. Or if this was just the result of all the time he's lost in previous years and it's just a matter of getting stretched out. And if that's the case, is that going to take a few years before Mackenzie Gore builds up the arm strength necessary to get through a full big league season as a starter? So what do you make of the early success and 
how much more complicated has this become with the amount of time he's missed this year? Well, Davey, I don't know what your process is when you see a pitcher like this, you know, young pitcher that we haven't seen before at the major league level. And then they, they start off great and then drop off inexplicably. But the first place I go, I imagine the first place a lot of people go is, well, what, what happened with the velocity? So where the real turn was for Gore was June 11th. From that point forward, uh, the, the performance just really fell off. Prior to, to that start, he was averaging 95.4 miles an hour on his fastball from July, or I'm sorry, from June 11th forward, 93.6 miles an hour, almost a two mile per hour drop off. So it still doesn't answer the question. You, you threw out a lot of great explanations. I mean, is it just hitting the wall in terms of innings? Was there the beginning of a health issue at that point? Uh, we may never know that, but I think you can look to that earlier, you know, the first couple of months of the season and look to that as, as something that he can repeat, something he can do as long as he gets whatever was wrong, can get that right, whether it's, uh, you know, it was a fatigue issue, a health issue, mechanics, whatever it was. Um, there, there's some really impressive upside there. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out if it's a similar situation to Tarek Skubal from a year ago, where you could see a pretty big step forward of the ratios because there's there's enough good in the profile that with more consistency, with better health next year, it's. You know, 150 plus innings of mid to high threes ERA and a good whip with lots of strikeouts. If that's if that's a reasonable sort of expectation, I think Gore. Part of what makes him tough to project as well is I don't know how the market's going to treat him. I think he's going to fall quite a bit because of the missed time. I think he's going to be reasonably affordable, at least in early drafts. If we get good news throughout the winter and going into spring training, where everything is on schedule, he's strong. He's He's working out at a facility, a drive line, or, or somewhere like that, and the buzz starts to build up. Then I could see him popping up on a lot of sleeper lists and becoming a lot more expensive you know, come March of next year. But I could also see the the case for maybe saying, hey, if he's going around pick 250 or pick 300, that's a gamble worth taking with a young pitcher dealing with an injury. I think finding that sweet spot, you know, earlier I mentioned Boz being someone that I'm maybe a little bit afraid of just because I don't know if you're going to get much of a discount. And when you're not getting a discount on a young injured pitcher, you're taking on a lot of performance risk and health risk. But if we get him into that later stages of the draft, you're talking round 20 of a 15 team league that could actually work out really well. And there's probably a few other pitchers that we're going to talk about that are going to end up in a similar range. I think Aaron Ashby is going to go earlier than Mackenzie Gore. I just put him second on this list because I always have to dial it down with the Brewers hype on the show. It's <laughs> one of the recurring complaints we get about uh, the the work that I do on the pods is there's too much Brewers talk. So I apologize that Aaron Ashby pitches for the Brewers. It's just the, just the way things work. But he's pretty interesting from a lot of perspectives. The stuff just looks so difficult for hitters to pick up, especially lefties. We've seen him miss a decent number of bats again this year, even in a starting role. The amount of hard contact he's allowed has ticked up this year compared to last year. More barrels, at least 7.2% barrel rate against compared to 4.9% a year ago. The ratios are not good. A 458 ERA, a 143 whip. Uh, if you're into wins and losses, he's 2-10, in 10, so that's pretty weird for a guy that's as good as Aaron Ashby is, and he's had a couple of injuries that have slowed him down this year, so I think it is the, the recurring arm problems that have uh, nudged into the IL for what appears to be two reasonably brief stints. What do we do with Aaron Ashby? Are we encouraged by some of the underlying numbers, a four-pitch mix that will consistently get swings and misses or are we pessimistic because of arm injuries and bad ratios and uh, and possible long-term innings concerns well, I, I think he goes in the same bucket with with gore and boz uh you know again not on the same level as boz um but the, the flip side of that is i think ashby could fall to being a late rounder because of the injury concerns and because of the the surface ratios but uh, ERA estimators have liked Ashby a lot, both last season and this season. He's got a career 320 XFIP. He's got a career 339 Sierra. Uh, that looks pretty commensurate with uh, all the, the lower level stats that he's put up. And if you just look at the, you know, the strikeout walk and home rate, home run ratios, I think there's a lot of room for those to be much better next year. Uh, because again, you look at the components of those things in terms of 
swings and misses, called strikes, um, chase rate, uh, percentage in the zone, first first strike, uh, first pitch strikes. Um, all those things look really great, <laughs> like on a, on a more uh, granular level. Ashby's performed exceptionally well. So I think the thing is we just hope that he does fall to after pick 200 or so overall. And if that happens, he's going to be on a lot of my rosters next year because uh, he's got a great profile and he just needs needs to be uh, needs to be healthy, needs to make sure that that shoulder is good for next year. And the overall called strikes and whiff rate, 33.5%. That is the fourth highest among all rookie pitchers. That includes relievers. That's 138 pitchers. It's uh, it's great to see someone at that level. I'm with you. It's not because I'm a homer. I do think that pick 200 range is probably that sweet spot. If he starts going earlier than that, it might be hard to follow through and have a lot of Aaron Ashby on my teams. But assuming that he's healthy, once he comes off the IL from the shoulder inflammation that has him down right now, and just for anyone curious, it was forearm inflammation the first time he went on the IL. Two concerning areas to have a problem, but a relatively minor diagnosis when you consider the alternatives. Uh, I'm probably in on Ashby. I do like him more than Gore. I just, again, put him second just to shield everybody from excessive Brewers <laughs> hype. Um, let's talk about Hunter Green because I think he fits in this group as well. There's no denying that the stuff is great. It's always been a question of whether or not the fastball was actually too hittable, if it was just too too flat, too straight for, for big league hitters to not swing through it. 127 Ks this season in 102 and two-thirds innings for Green. A 526 ERA and a 130 whip. Now, projections point to an ERA, probably about a run lower than that, with no improvement whatsoever. The advanced uh, ERA indicator, Sierra, has him at 361. I think there's probably some belief that the home run rate won't be elite of the elite in a bad way. He's kind of got the Tarek Skubal 2021 home run rate going for him at over two homers per nine in his rookie season. So uh, how much improvement are you realistically like, pricing in as you think about Hunter Green's second season with the Reds? Some of that will depend on the, this final month, um, but I'm really encouraged that over his last 32 and two-thirds, Hunter Green has given up three home runs. So uh, even Scooble in 2021 had a little period where he didn't give up very many home runs. So uh, I think that's a, a great comp. And I really like Scooble going into this year. So I could see myself winding up with Green uh, a lot next year because I think once he solves the home run problem, he's going to be potentially a number two starter. And um, yeah, that could be as soon as next year. I'm going to venture a guess that Green goes somewhere close to Ashby ADP-wise. I think that's where people are going to put those guys together, both being in the NL Central, both having electric stuff albeit very different arsenals i think that's that's definitely going to be the likely spot pick 200 pick 225 somewhere in that that range uh, Rowanzi Contreras i think belongs in this group he spent more time back down at triple a after being demoted at the all-star break than i expected i thought that was purely roster management that that was let's get an extra reliever here and we're going to bring Rowanzi Contreras back up for the start of the second half but it seems like they were trying to manage his innings really carefully. And instead of letting him work as a reliever for the big league club, they were short starting him in AAA for a, a good portion of the time after the break. But he's been used like a regular starter since returning. It's only been four starts since he rejoined the Pirates. And I think he's looked amazing. I mean, this is the guy that I was expecting all season long. It's just been a frustratingly long wait in a lot of cases. Uh, at least five strikeouts each of his last three starts. He's doing a good job keeping the ball in the park. There is a little bit of a walks issue for him. And those were some pretty tough matchups, too. He's had the Blue Jays, the Phillies on the road. He's had Atlanta, and he's had the Red Sox, who I know are fading quite a bit. But definitely not an easy stretch of schedule for Ronzi Contreras as he's been able to show that he's a, a very capable big league starter down the stretch. Yeah, uh, we're in agreement here on Contreras. Those four starts have been super encouraging, and we can just maybe only hope that uh, if he continues on continues on a similar project trajectory for the rest of the season, that um, maybe people will just focus on the strikeout and the walk rates and not on what's supporting them underneath. Because uh, kind of like we were talking about um, uh, just a, a moment ago with Aaron Ashby, 
that um, you know the strikeout walk rates for those four starts have not really been all that encouraging, but that uh, plate discipline profile for for Contreras has been outstanding. So, yeah, I agree. He's been terrific since coming back up, and I think he's of the pitchers we've talked about, probably the one I'm most motivated to really track over his remaining starts because I think that'll go a long way to determining how I'll value him for uh, for 2023. Yeah, I could say of the four pitchers we've talked about so far in this tougher-to-project group, Gore, Ashby, Green, and, and Contreras, Contreras might go the earliest in drafts because he's most likely to be healthy at the end of the season based on what's going on with the other three. And I think with, with Contreras, you know, we're we're looking at the way the Pirates have managed the inning so far this year. We don't know if they're going to shut him down early or if they're just going to let him work like a regular starter all the way through the end of the season. But if the season ended today, he'd be at 108 in a third inning. So they'd probably be comfortable going to the 140, 150 range next year. Every start that he makes nudges that potential ceiling up even further. So if we see another four or five starts from him, we're probably talking about 170 to 175 innings being on the table. And in the range where these young pitchers tend to go, that ends up being plenty. You're not worried about the workload enough to actually downgrade him for it. So as frustrating as it's been this year for Contreras, I do think we're going to be pretty much out of the weeds with the very tight innings cap management that he has received so far this year from the Pirates. Um, I put Edward Cabrera in this group to Al. I mean, the the high-velocity changeup he throws is one of my favorite pitches in the league right now. I think that's a it's amazing to watch him do that. It's not, I mean, it should just be called something else. It's not really a changeup. It's, I don't know, give, give it a name kind of like the, the Devin Williams airbender because it's a pitch all of its own. The results so far have been excellent this year 239 ERA, 106 whip, 55 Ks, and 49 innings. The injuries that we've seen for Cabrera throughout his entire professional career have been very problematic. And I think those will continue to be problematic going forward just because his workload this year is probably going to end up in the range of maybe 110, 120 innings when it's all said and done, kind of back of the napkin math of what he's done throughout rehabbing. And, and they've, they've had to be really careful with him. And I think this is probably the most extreme injury risk profile of all the pitchers that we've discussed so far. Maybe even scarier than what Shane Boz has dealt with this season because this goes back multiple years now for Cabrera. Yeah, that's something that's definitely going to make me shy away from from targeting Cabrera next year. And so are the control issues, uh, which are still there for him. And you mentioned the the surface level stats. Uh, I, I think he has a, a very low line drive rate to thank for a lot of that which is the the metric that I probably trust the least out of anything on, on a player stat page. So I, I think there's a real danger of Cabrera going into next season with just a little too much helium. And at this point, I'd probably be really surprised if I did wind up rostering him anywhere. Yeah, I, we'll see what the price ends up being, but I'm probably out, even though I really like the talent and the situation always good. I'm, usually trying to take a chance on some Marlins pitchers. Uh, maybe they can find a way to make it work. I mean, we've seen it with Pablo Lopez for a long time where the per inning numbers are excellent, and maybe that's where we have to sort of set workload expectations for Cabrera, at least in the short term as the Marlins try and get him through a full season healthy in 2023. A handful of other names that have been called up recently or had opportunities this season I think are pretty interesting for next year. Kyle Bradish, who came up, I believe, on the Friday waiver show, he's just been a different pitcher in the second half of this season. Another success story, of course, for the Orioles. Um, I'm pretty impressed by the overall numbers. Strikeout per inning stuff or close to it. ERA, probably a run higher than it should be based on the underlying skills that we're seeing right now. Has a bit of a home run issue for the season didn't really have a major home run issue in the minors either. And I think when I watch games in Baltimore and I, I see just how cavernous that park has become in left left center field, I'm increasingly optimistic about Orioles pitchers just based on that. And it's clear they've also done a lot of other things well, given the number of, of steps forward they had from that group of pitchers this season. Yeah, and and Bradish definitely uh, stands out. I'd say along with, with Tyler Wells, as you know, pitchers that have really um, 
made themselves relevant for for next year. And again, like you mentioned, DBR, uh, the fact that Brash has been so much more uh, effective since uh, coming back up from the minors. And uh, the thing is with him, I, the the walk rate is not great. Um, it, it's high enough that because he's he's got just a merely decent strikeout rate that. Uh, his success lately has really relied on contact management, not allowing a lot of hard contact. And it's been a a small enough period of time that I just worry too, that if he continues over the final month succeeding in that manner, maybe it's something that he can sustain from season to season, but I'm not going to be convinced of it yet. And so I may not uh, wind up with Bradish on, on very many rosters next year, but definitely the, the reputation for him, it's, it's definitely gaining because you mentioned, we did talk about him on the Friday waiver show and I got outbid for him in a 12 teamer. So there, there was some pretty strong interest in Bradish and at least my 12 team league and, and judging by his roster rates, probably uh, not just my league. So, uh, yeah, he's he's uh, making himself known and in, in the starting you know, to creep into the shallower uh, league. Yeah, those uh, those recent leaderboards, he was really popping on those, and I think everyone kind of took notice. A nice, a pretty difficult stretch of schedule too, in which he's pitched pretty well. That goes a long way to increase that trust level. Uh, Brian Bayo, I think, is actually really interesting to me because he pitched so well at AA and AAA this year, getting a regular opportunity in the rotation for the Red Sox down the stretch. The ratios are gross, which I think bodes really well for getting a potential discount next year. The walk rate is about as bad as it's ever been at any stop. We saw that at AAA a little bit as well, uh, but I do think it a 10% walk rate, you can live with that when you miss as many bats as Bayo is capable of missing. Strikeout rate was above 33%, both at AA and AAA. He's never really shown a home run issue so far, keeping the ball in the park at the big league level as well. Uh, there's a lot to like here, and I think there's a pretty clear path to a rotation spot for Bayo to begin 2023 as well. He's definitely making a good case for that in his recent starts. And when you say he keeps the, he's been keeping the ball in the park, I mean, you mean that literally, because he has yet to give up a home run in the major leagues in 32 innings, which it's getting to the point where that's something you really have to take note of. And when we've talked about Bayo in the past, even, you know, particularly when he was rising up, uh, going from double A AA to triple A earlier this season. And I think we were, or at least I was very focused on the strikeout rate. I didn't pay as much attention to the fact that he's got a power sinker and it, it does generate a lot of grounders. And he's got a ground ball rate that's just shy of 60%, which obviously ties into the fact that he hasn't given up a home run yet. So uh, maybe the use of the sinker does limit the strikeout potential a bit, but I, He's already shown himself to be uh, a good enough strikeout pitcher. That that that's a combination to me. That's that's really attractive. Yeah, I think there's a, a few ways it could go right for Bayo going into next season, and we're seeing some flashes of that here at the end of the year. I imagine the ratios will start to look a little better as he gets more innings uh, on the ledger at the big league level down the stretch here. But I'm in for next year. I'm assuming the price will be very reasonable, too. It'll probably be comparable to some of the guys we talked about in that tough-to-project group, the later part of that, maybe the 250-300 to 300 range. Sign me up. Definitely in for Brian Bayo on rosters if that ends up being the price. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RS varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit directtv.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, JP Sears getting that chance in Oakland. We've talked about him a few times around the trade deadline and on the waiver show. And the big thing for me is just that he's getting this opportunity that he probably wasn't going to get unless there were injuries with the Yankees. And now it's a clear path to at least be a useful home streamer. We've seen pitchers with even less stuff have plenty of success in that role in Oakland 
So I, I'm at least counting on him as someone I can use for half or more of his starts next year. I don't know if the ceiling is quite as high as you could assume based on some of the upper-level success he's had. The AAA numbers alone have been fantastic. He's got about 100 innings at that level. Going back to last season, ERA is probably in the low to mid-twos, the whips below one, plenty of strikeouts. I'm not expecting that sort of translation into the big leagues, given that he was a little old when he did all that. But I do think he's a very useful starter for fantasy, especially because he's in Oakland. Exactly. Yeah, if you weren't going to go there, I was. And just just like you're always targeting the Marlins pitchers because of their park, uh, I think you can do the same with the A's. And the thing is that I was expecting more strikeouts, more swing and miss from Sears just based on those AAA uh, numbers that you mentioned. And again, he hasn't made that many starts this year, but just an 8.1% swinging strike rate, uh, which is not very good at all. Uh, But you look to his teammate, Cole Irvin, uh, who does just fine with not a lot of swing and miss and not a lot of strikeouts because he gets a lot of fly ball outs, particularly at his home park. Uh, so you, you figure that's probably the floor for Sears and Irvin at times has been viable in 12 teamers as a streaming option this year. And I think you can look at that as kind of the minimum to expect from Sears, uh, in 2023. I think the thing I want to see from JP Sears is a little bit less dependence on the fastball. It's a 93.3 mile an hour fastball, nothing particularly special about it. That was at 61% of the time. If he could go to the slider and the changeup just a little bit more often, balance out that arsenal a little bit, I think that would go a ways to possibly bump up that strikeout rate. Even if he's a 7.5, 8Ks per 9 guy at his peak, I think that's going to work with that home park and, and some of the matchups he'll have as a streamer in the AL West. Let's get to one more of my air quotes, favorites, uh, Max Castillo. I, I just like that Castillo is going to have an opportunity in Kansas City where they've been desperate for pitching. I think he's flashed some pretty good results in the minors, has looked like an interesting depth piece in Toronto prior to this trade to Kansas City. I was a little surprised that the Blue Jays traded him in the first place. Early returns at the big league level include a 297 ERA and a .99 whip in just 30 and a third innings. What do you think about Max Castillo? Do you think he's a legitimate young pitcher who's going to continue pushing that K rate in the right direction? Or do you think he's a little more of a finished product? I think there's some room for him to to expand on that K rate and to, to get better going into next year. And something that's interesting to me and, and maybe picking apart what, what is really too small of a sample, but he has been throwing his slider a little bit more often since joining the Royals. So if that's something that continues... Uh, over the the course of the season, and that would also be incumbent on him actually staying in the Royals rotation. He's been kind of in and out since the trade. Uh, But if we could see more of him and see him continue to throw uh, sliders at a higher rate, then I'm definitely much more interested. Yeah, it could be a really big pitch for him. 12.7% usage on the season, and it's been uh, fantastic by results. So we'll see how much he can push that usage up. That'd go a long way toward making me a believer in the K rate holding up, but I imagine he'll be very cheap in early drafts given the the role uncertainty as uh, we think about the beginning of 2023. I put two rookie pitchers in the no idea category. I have no idea what to expect from Matthew Libertor or Ryan Pepio for completely different reasons. I thought Libertor was a good floor guy that was going to come up and pitch really well from the jump in the Cardinals rotation. Instead, he's been an in-and-out-of-the-rotation sort of guy that can't really find any sort of consistency at the top level just yet. And with Pepio, it's the walk rates. And if the Dodgers couldn't fix that by now, why would I believe that it's going to be fixed in an offseason since we're talking about someone who just turned 25 back in August? Yeah, it's been a, a persistent problem that's just gotten worse in the time he's been in the majors. I maybe give Pepio a little benefit of the doubt here because he's been up and down and up and down. And maybe he just needs a, a little bit more of a stable situation to improve in that area. But it's not just the walk rate. Uh, he's also, with the Dodgers, had a 23.5% ground ball rate. So that's a, just a potentially explosive. In fact, not just potentially. It's been an, an explosive uh, uh, problem for, for Pepio. And as far as Libertor goes, 
Maybe he's another pitcher DVR who could just benefit from a little bit of tweaking of his pitch mix. He's actually had some pretty decent results with his curveball this year, but his fastball has just absolutely gotten crushed. So uh, unlike Pepio, Libertor just 22. So uh, on the, the age curve where he definitely could could uh, tweak some things and we could see some big improvement. Yeah, I mean, I think it takes a few more adjustments for Libertor to get to the level where I'm interested than Pepio. And with Pepio, I guess it's just faith in the organization making one last change that could make him better, but it could be a pretty risky profile if it goes wrong. I guess my interest would be limited mostly to draft and hold and NL-only leagues initially. We'll see if anything good surfaces coming out of the winter and going into the spring. Uh, But Libertor... I'm almost out completely. I think on him at this point, someone else can can have the profit if uh, it ends up being a good idea to have him on your roster for next season. Um, a few relievers that I wanted to get to. I think there's some elite bullpen arms that have emerged this year. I think it's fair to say Felix Bautista belongs in that group. Joan Duran in Minnesota has been fantastic, even though the Twins don't seem like a team that really want to give one reliever all the saves. And Andres Munoz is healthy again in Seattle. I think he's got what I would call super elite stuff and has top five closer potential if he ever gets sole possession of the job. The Mariners are a little bit like the Twins, but it seems like there's a chance that one lead in the committee can emerge to get half of the save opportunities based on usage. So maybe Munoz could be that guy. But of these three, the way the Orioles are using Felix Bautista, he's basically just replaced Jorge Lopez. I think he's probably establishing himself as a pretty easy top 10 closer already going into next season. Yeah, it'd be hard to really pick one. Uh, they've, they've all looked terrific. And like you were alluding to, maybe it's just the the organizational philosophy and level of opportunity that really is going to distinguish them. And by that that account, yeah, Bautista probably has a, a leg up on both Duran and, and Munoz. Uh, but, you know, you'd said that the Twins seem like a team that don't necessarily want to settle on one closer. And it, I think that it's it's maybe not that cut and dried with them because it seems like once, and, and the same may be true for Seattle too, but once somebody kind of separates themselves from the pack, like uh, Trevor Rogers, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Taylor Rogers did, uh, a couple years back, then they they really gave him the the bulk of the opportunities. But I you know I, I thought of a name DVR I haven't thought of in a long time Trevor Hildenberger because uh, it wasn't that long ago they were giving him some saves but he just wasn't able to kind of separate himself from the pack. Um, but with Seattle too, yeah, like uh, Paul Seawald's really been that pitcher this year who has established himself as the most reliable. And so he's gotten uh, the the most save opportunities. Munoz could easily be that pitcher next year. And looking at some leaderboards, it brings up another name, by the way, because uh, Munoz, just incredible uh, peripherals, a 20.9% whiff rate, a 34.6% CSW. And among qualified relievers, there are only three that have a higher CSW than Munoz. Edwin Diaz, number one. Jason Adam, number two. Number three, Alex Lang. Hmm. Value in that Tigers bullpen, potentially. Yeah. Not a rookie, but a name to think of, yeah. I, I do think since they made the Lopez trade, I believe Jorge Lopez has all the saves that the Twins have generated in the time since he was acquired. So they have settled on one guy in the second half of the season. Prior to that acquisition, they were all over the place. And I believe at one point, too, Duran was either leading the league in leverage index or flirting with that league lead. So the way they're using him... He is getting their most important outs in the late innings, and he's thriving in that role. So he's great. It's just a question of whether or not your league rewards pitchers like that because he. if we play in a league with holds, we play in leagues that, that take care of high-leverage relievers, he's, he's elite. He's shown that. A bunch of other guys that I think kind of fit with opportunity. John Schreiber getting chances in Boston right now. Three saves in his last five appearances going back to August 27th, so he's kind of the the poster boy for, for this particular group. I thought uh, Scott Efros was interesting until the Yankees traded for him. Then I thought he was interesting for different reasons. I, thought, I just thought he was going to emerge to maybe get some saves for the Cubs if he didn't get moved. Uh, Penn Murphy has been really good in that Seattle bullpen as well. It's just too deep of a bullpen to think that he's going to end up getting the larger share of, of saves might be one of the third or fourth options that they use on occasion. Alexis Diaz is creeping into 
has the opportunity and might be the guy for next year status for me. And then AJ Puck really pitching well enough, I think, to be a steady high leverage reliever. I'm just waiting for the A's to commit more to him in that closer role. And we may keep waiting because he has been good. And it also seems weird, DVR, that this is really the first year that we've gotten a steady look at Puck uh, because of, of injury. So uh, with that that extended look, he's he's been good. If he were a full-time closer, I think he would be decent. But the, the profile that he puts up is not that of, of an elite closer. And for the A's and where they're at in terms of um, you know the, the rebuild cycle, He's he's a, a perfectly good enough candidate to close for them. So uh, going into next year, if it looks like he's the the most likely candidate to to get saves, um, I think he'd be a, a good pitcher to target. Maybe as your number three reliever, but I also think he hasn't put up numbers that are so distinct that we could necessarily just assume. Well, okay, he's he's ready to go as their full time closer. Yeah, I think he'd be probably a, like a tier three sort of closer if we knew he had the job. Uh, maybe similar to how Gregory Soto was valued going into this season if you need a, a more recent sort of, of comp. But looking back at the A's save opportunities since the start of August, there have not been a lot of them. Zach Jackson has converted one. Austin Pruitt has converted one. AJ Puck has converted two. So it looks like it is still some sort of committee, but maybe Puck is slowly taking the upper hand in Oakland. Um, with Diaz, do you see the Reds being a team that will consistently commit to one closer? Because that seemed like part of the part of what pushed Rysel Iglesias out a couple years ago was that they wanted to mix and match a little bit more. And now it kind of looks like Diaz is at least the favorite for those opportunities if they do end up locking back in on one reliever. And maybe the reason that they wanted to mix and match was because they didn't feel like they had somebody that was worthy of closing full time, or maybe to put it more generously that they had a number of candidates who could fill that role ably. And uh, Diaz does seem to be the best option that they have right now. So I actually would be a little bit surprised if he didn't come into next season as the clear primary closer for the Reds, and he's he's been really good. So I think he's in that mix for uh, you know maybe a lower end number two or possibly high end number three uh, reliever uh, for next season. I've got one pitcher that I want to throw out here as a long term league dart that I think is still worth throwing. I've mentioned him at least once on rates and barrels this season, if not more than once. And I think I've mentioned him at least once on this feed too. It's Brian Abreu in the Astros organization, putting up a great season in the bullpen. It's a career high in innings for him at the big league level. He's got 50 and two-thirds innings so far this year. Sub-2 ERA, 73 strikeouts in those 50 and two-thirds innings. Lowered the walk rate a little bit from where it was last year, still at 10.1%. Um, is really not allowing home runs. Done excellent so far in that regard. And I think it's just because the Astros have had such a great track record taking bullpen arms like this, guys that were starters in the minors and end up in their bullpen for a little while, taking guys like that and eventually pushing them back into starting roles. To me, it seems like the stuff plays up well enough where he could actually make it work if the opportunity broke. It's a pure skills play. And I guess the other way it could end up working long-term, I think there's a chance there's a path to saves eventually. I know Ryan Presley's there on a multi-year deal, but we could be talking about a future in a year or two or Brian Abreu is a, a possible closer for them if it doesn't go the other way with his workload. Yeah, or you know, if, if Presley is, is hurt, uh, you know, I think there's a number of ways that this could play out for Abreu, but he did take a big step forward this year and the, the walk rate has improved just enough that because with all of that, uh, soft contact that he does allow, plus just the avoidance of contact in general. That That's a really nice profile. So I wonder how that would translate into him going back into a starting role. Uh, so he is in a little bit of a, of a tough spot there uh, in, in terms of opportunities. But yeah, I love the skill set. And I would you know think about like TJ Antone going back to last year. We didn't know what the role was going to be. We also didn't know he was uh, going to have Tommy John surgery, but uh, you, you just figure the skill set's really good and wherever it gets used, um, there, there's going to be value there. So I think that's a good way to look at Abreu going into next season. Yeah, it works really well in deeper leagues, of course, but if you're in a league where 
a lot of players are kept and you just need to find a lottery ticket that could turn out to be a good pitcher, Brian Abreu, excellent stuff. Just a question whether or not the command improves enough for that opportunity to be afforded to him as a starter at some point in the future. That is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Before we go, I will remind you, you can get an, a subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. You can find Al on Twitter at AlMelkUrBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast returns on Wednesday with Under the Radar. Under the Radar.